Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And today we're going to look at uh, some encouraging truths from a discouraging battle. Hey, when we think about Romans chapter 6, there's some incredible, amazing, wonderful encouragements. And when we think about Romans chapter 8, there's some incredible, amazing, wonderful encouragements. And then in the middle in Romans chapter 7, right, we look at it, and as we think about some of the verses that we're going to see today, uh, it's easy for us to look at the struggle talked about that every Christian faces with sin and to look at that and to ultimately end up being pretty discouraged. But that's not the point. That's not why God wrote Romans chapter 7. It's not like God was thinking uh, as he was inspiring his word through Paul. It's not like he said, you know what, they're probably going to have a little bit too much joy in their Christian lives if we just have Romans 6 and Romans 8 right next to each other, right? We've got kind of, we to kind of level this down. We can't keep, the, keep them too excited. We've got to just kind of discourage them a little bit in the middle of this. That's not why God wrote Romans chapter 7. And so I'm excited to look at uh, some of the encouraging truths uh, that we can see in this chapter here today. Now, I tossed this out on social media a couple days ago, but I'm just going to say my three points right here from the start, and then we're going to work through each of these. Hey, there's three encouraging truths that we can see here. Uh, number one, death is better than being stuck with your ex. Right? Truth number one from Romans chapter 7, death is better than being stuck with your ex. Number two, you're bipolar, but you're not crazy. Right? All of us, you get deep enough into the semester, we start feeling like we're going a little bit crazy. But you're bipolar, but you're not crazy. And number three, and one that I find uh, personally encouraging, is that you will lose weight eventually. All right? Death is better than being stuck with your ex. You're bipolar, but you're not crazy. And you will lose weight eventually. When Brother Johnson got up to start off the singing, and uh, he mentioned that some of the seniors were out here, and he said, hey, we're going to have to sing out. You're looking a little slim in here today. I took that as a personal compliment. And so I appreciate just the encouragement that's already gone into this service. But as we're looking at Romans chapter 7, I think that we're going to be able to see each of these truths, each of these encouragements for us here in God's excellent word even that we sang about earlier. Now as we think about this first truth, right, death is better than being stuck with your ex. Now hopefully you can't attest to that from personal experience. But if you've met the right person or the wrong person, I guess we might say, you might be able to agree with that truth. Dr. R mentioned that uh, I, I'm uh, leading some of the organization for Jewish outreach and I'm excited about that. But as a Florida man, who did uh, Jewish outreach one summer in New Jersey. I've met some really interesting people along the way, right? Uh, I was reading the other day about a lady in New Jersey. This was in 2019. Her name was uh, Tyja Russell. And Tyja got a call uh, from a friend of hers uh, late at night, and he wanted her to uh, come over uh, to his house. And uh, so uh, she hopped in the car, started heading on over. But by the time that she got there, he had fallen back asleep. And she called him, he didn't answer. She called him seven more times, he didn't answer. She sent texts, encouraging texts, friendly texts, thing like, things like, I see you wanna die. But he did not wake up, he did not answer. It was about four in the morning at this point. And Taija went down to your friendly neighborhood gas station, got some matches, got some lighter fluid, 
went to his house and literally set his house on fire. You can look this up. This is a news article. Tyger Russell in Woodbury, New Jersey, this was in August of 2019, literally set his house on fire because he had fallen back to sleep and uh, didn't let her in. Somehow, this was not the first time that had happened that year in Woodbury, New Jersey. Uh, there was another lady, Tasia Young, that got jealous that her uh, about her boyfriend literally burned down his apartment in April of that same year, got the matches and lighter fluid from the same gas station. <laughs> so don't do that for your summer job. And don't date people whose name sounds like Tasia, right? That's just, just life advice here. This is not a dating sermon, but don't do that, right? Hey, death is better than being stuck with your ex, but this isn't just some random life advice. This is the kind of picture that we see here in Romans chapter 7. Verse 1, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, that the law hath dominion. Literally, it rules over a man as long as he liveth. For a woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she's freed from that law, so that she's no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Hey, we know what God's word teaches, that God's plan for marriage is one man and one woman for one lifetime. But when that lifetime has run out, when till death do us part has actually come to pass, that that person isn't still married anymore, that because of the death of one of those spouses, that marriage commitment, that marriage covenant before God is over. It, it's done with. It's not a thing anymore. Verse 4, Paul then brings out the application, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit to God. Verse 5, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should not serve in newness of spirit, or that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Hey, what verses 4 and 5 are saying is that everybody gets some kind of death. Hey, death is part of the equation for everyone. Verse 4, you can start with death. Hey, you become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him that's raised from the dead, that you should bring forth fruit unto God. Hey, for every Christian, you have died with Jesus Christ, you are identified with him, that Jesus died on the cross, taking your sins with him, that if you're saved, you died with him too, and when you start with death, you're then raised with Christ, you're married to Christ, you're bonded to Christ forever, and the result is fruit unto God. But in verse 5, when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, and the word here is uh, the passionate uncontrolled wicked desires in each of us, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. It's a very different fruit. It's a very different end result here that sin working by the law brings 
death. But for those of us that are saved, for those of us that are in Christ, hey, we've already died. We've already gotten that out of the way once. We're already with him, raised with him, that we should be able to bring forth fruit unto God, that we should be able to serve in the newness of spirit. Hey, Romans chapter 6 is one of two chapters that really cross-references with Romans chapter 7. If you're doing some more study on this later, go to Romans chapter 6, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. There's a ton of parallels with these. But Romans chapter 6, verse 6, knowing this, hey, this is something that has happened to us, that we know about us, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. It doesn't work anymore. It's not there anymore. It's not who we are anymore. That henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Hey, death is better than being stuck with your ex. Hey, Romans chapter 7 tells us that in our status before Christ, we were filled with sin, we were under the law, and sin plus law equals death. That's just the result. That's just the end uh, point of that. But in Christ, we've already gotten that death out of the way. We, we've already had that, and that death is better than being stuck under the law in sin. Hey, our position, uh, who we are, our identity, and, and what we are under and what we are in has changed now that we're in Christ. And the result that's given here, the point of this, we already saw in verse 4 is fruit unto God, but verse 6 then as well, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of letter. Hey, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, again, a lot of connections. Verse 6 there says, who, speaking of God, hath also made us able ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Hey, if we have spiritual life in God, if we are alive in Christ, with Christ, we should be acting like that. Our service should be reflecting that newness of spirit that we are in and not the oldness of letter that we're not in anymore. We're going to tackle a, a number of different things here, and we're going to keep moving with this, but if I look at my life, and if I'm defining how I'm serving God as a new person, more so by a letter, a, a rigid kind of system, and just ignoring the spirit, ignoring actually pursuing God with it, then, then there's something incompatible. There's something that, that is clashing. There's something that's not how it's supposed to be. Hey, reading your Bible every day is wonderful. Reading your Bible every day is great. But if just checking that box blinds you to not getting anything out of God's word, if, hey, you read your Bible every day this past week, but you, you just didn't even, you didn't see anything, you, you didn't care, you, you looked at words on a page for 15 minutes, you know, congratulations, but, but there was no affections that were stirred, you didn't think about God, you didn't draw closer to God, you didn't learn what God wants you to learn, you didn't try to actually receive truth for your life, you just kind of had a book open and sort of fuzzily, visually scanned it for a couple of minutes, that you can check off the box, you can keep your streak going, and, and things like that aren't even bad. Hey, praise the Lord for consistency, 
But God is looking not just for some kind of letter or some structure, but the newness of the Spirit. Hey, is there a, a freshness? Is there a Spirit-ledness in how we serve the Lord? Hey, Spirit-ledness doesn't mean that you don't have soul-winning goals, that you don't have Bible-reading goals or whatever, but are you serving in the newness of the Spirit? Because that's what we're saved for. That's what we're raised for because death is better than being stuck with your ex. But the second truth is that, hey, you're bipolar, but you're not crazy. Now, as we look at this, and this is really kind of the bulk of Romans chapter 7 that we're going to look at. Now, we can see in verses 7, really down through 13, that the problem ultimately isn't that God's law is bad, because that's just not true. God's law is good. But bad sin plus a good law ends up with a bad result. Hey, you know, there's uh, some things that you're not supposed to uh, maybe eat uh, if you are taking certain medicines. Uh, limes, for example. Some of the, uh, the vitamins that are in them, if you're taking cough syrup or something like that, uh, some of the nutrients and the vitamins in limes can keep your body from actually absorbing uh, and, and in, uh, ingesting some of the medicinal benefits of cough syrup, and it can actually just kind of stay in your bloodstream uh, for longer than it's supposed to. It can just kind of pile up instead of your body really taking it in. And that doesn't mean that limes are, are bad for you or something like that. Uh, but uh, limes plus medicine can equal a bad result sometimes. Hey, good law plus bad sin is bad result. Uh, because this is what sin does in uh, verses 7 through 13. That the results of sin plus the law, what sin does with the law, verse 8, sin taking occasion by the commandment. Hey, using it as a base for operations, wrought in me, worked out in me all manner of concupiscence. That's the word here for lust, for lustful desires. Hey, when the law says I'm not supposed to do something, when God says no, man, that, that sin says I, I really want to do that, just because there is kind of that boundary there, right? Hey, just because I'm not supposed to uh, walk there, go there, do that thing, man, I, I want to touch that, I want to walk there, I want to see what's up with that, just because there's a boundary that says no. Verse 11, sin taking occasion by the commandment. Again, working from the law deceived me. It completely tricked me. It completely got me. And by it, it slew me. Hey, bad sin plus good law equals sinful desires being worked out. Complete deception and death. And the point of this in verse 13 then is... Was that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. Hey, it's not the law's fault, but sin, that it might appear sin. Hey, that we would see what sin really is. Working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Now, in verse 14, he's going to shift over to present tense verbs. Here in the first 13 verses, we're looking at pretty much past tense verbs here. But Paul is setting up this idea. He says the whole point of talking about some of this is that sin would appear exceeding sinful. That we would really feel the nastiness, feel the destructive, corrosive, attacking force of what sin is. And we see in verse 14, as he starts to describe his experience, that he really feels that. 
that that really weighs on him, that he's really grappling with that. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual. Hey, the law is from God. Hey, God's word isn't bad, but I am carnal, sold under sin. I'm a slave to it. I, I've gotten bought by sin, and I'm under its control, and I'm carnal, and I see these sinful things working in me, these desires, these attractions that are sinful inside of me. And Paul hates this. Now, some people have said that Romans is Paul kind of thinking back to when he wasn't saved. And so he talks about this power that sin used to have on him back when he wasn't saved, as if he was still under it. And some people have said that Romans 7 is about a, a Christian who's just carnal, who's just backslidden, doesn't care about pleasing God, could really just could care less about what God wants for their lives, could care less if God says to do something or to not do something. But that's not what we seem to see in Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, in verses 15 and 16, verses 18 and 19, he strongly desires to do what is good. And he hates doing what is, what is wrong. There's these deep desires here in him. Verse 22, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Hey, this isn't just kind of some fleshly conformity that I'm trying to not get too many demerits this semester so I can work my way up the dorm soup ladder or whatever. Hey, I want to do what God says. I want to do what God approves of, what God directs me towards, what God guides my life towards. Man, I, I delight in that. That's a good thing. There's this deep affirmation that this is the right way to live, that this is how I want to live. And in verse 24, we can see that it drives him crazy that he doesn't do that. We definitely right, uh, are not making this a raise your hands kind of answer. But does anyone else ever look at your life and look at the things that you do and just feel deeply disappointed? And just deeply discouraged, just deeply disgusted by what you see going on. That you hear about other people and you see other people and, and you look at them and you say, man, I, I wish I had that. I, I really do want to be on track spiritually. I really do want to be serving God. It, it's not that I don't care, but I care, but I don't do it. I, I care, but I'm, I'm not there. And this is where Paul is. In this chapter, verse 15, for that which I would do, the things that I want to do, I, I, I allow not. For that which I do, rather, I allow not. And the word is, is just, to, I don't even know what's going on here. I don't even know what this is. Man, how in the world am I doing this? I, I don't want to do that. That's, that's not what I'm trying to do here. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do what I would not, I consent unto the law that it's good. I've got this conflict going on here with this. Verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not. I mean, the stuff I want to do, I, I don't find myself doing that. And the evil which I would not, the stuff I hate doing, the stuff I, I have no desire for, that's what I'm doing. 
Man, why in the world would I not do what I want to do and do what I don't want to do? That, that doesn't even make sense why I'm like this. That doesn't even make sense why I'm stuck here. Right? Because it would seem like I would just do the thing I want to do and not do the thing I don't want to do. That just makes sense to me. But instead, somehow, I've got it all backwards, Paul says. And there's this frustration, there's this disgust, there's this discouragement that's here because of this. And in verse 18, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. Man, I've got the desires to do it. And I, I, I really honestly want to serve God. But how to perform, how to work out, how to live out that which is good I find not. I, I, don't, I don't see how to turn this around. I, I don't see how to get back on the right track. Because I'm, I'm already, it's not like I can just say, well, I should want to do that more. I do want to do that, and I'm still not doing it. How do I turn this around, he says. I, I don't see it. I don't see a way out. And, and sometimes we can feel like we're there. Like, man, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I, I don't need someone, a uh, faculty or a dorm soup or whoever to tell me, hey, you know you're supposed to do this. And I, I do, but I, I'm not doing it. And Paul says that this comes about because of a battle inside of him. Verse 17, Now then, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. That's at home in me. It's, it's comfortable. It's, it's got its feet up. It's doing just great, the sin inside of me. Verse 20, now, if I do that which I would not, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Hey, Paul says there is a really me, me, and there's a not really me, me. He says, hey, if I'm doing all of these things that I don't want to do and I'm not doing the things that I do want to do, that it's because there is sin that's dwelling in me. Inside of me, inside of you, inside of every one of us, there is a deeply embedded parasite of sin. And because it infects us so deeply, it affects us incredibly strongly. But at the end of the day, Paul says that this is not actually me, that it's something inside of me, that it's attacking me, it's eating me up from the inside, but at the end of the day, it's not actually me. And there's not a removal of this sin, but there's this surgical distinction from this sin. And God says that the true you is the new you. Hey, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Right? God, God didn't mess up when he wrote that. God isn't off target when he wrote that. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Verse 9, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. That's not who you are anymore. And have put on the new man. 
hey, this is a change that has happened in your life. You've put on the new man, which is renewed. It's, it's new. It's different. It's not the same kind of thing anymore. In knowledge, after the image of him that created him. Now, we know that we're all created in the image of God in a sanctity of life kind of thing and, and reflecting who God is and that we're moral and uh, emotional and volitional and, and all sorts of things connected to that. But this image that Colossians 3.10 is talking about is that our new man looks like Jesus. It, it, it follows him. It, it reflects him that it is this new us, this new creation with old things passed away and all things become new. That it's like Jesus and it, it fits him and it follows him and it reflects him. And so what God says about us then is that you are more than your worst moments. You are more than the things you wish you didn't do anymore, but you find yourself stuck in. You are, are more than uh, the, the darkest secrets that, that if you could scrub them uh, from your past, just like you've scrubbed your browser history, you would do it. If you could scrub it from your mind, you would do it, but it's still there. Hey, you are more than your greatest weaknesses. You are more than the things that, that you hate about yourself and about what you see in your spiritual life. You're more than that because God says that the true you, who you really are and how he really sees you is the new you, is born again, a new creature in Christ, created after him, that your old man is dead, and that's not who you are anymore. Now we see some amount of tension here with this because we see Paul describing himself, hey, this is me that's doing it, but then he says this is not me that's doing this. Now, this isn't something to reject, but it's something to make sure that we think rightly about. At the end of this chapter, the very last part of verse 25, he says, so then with the mind, I myself, the real me on the inside, serve the law of God but with the flesh, the law of sin. And Paul doesn't just eliminate any difficulty. He doesn't eliminate any struggle. He doesn't even eliminate the how does this all kind of work together sort of idea in his life. Because he says, the real me, the I myself, I, man, I really do serve the law of God. I really do serve what God says and how God wants me to live here but with the flesh, the law of sin. And this isn't talking about like the Mosaic law. It's not talking about rules, but it's talking about rule. Uh, the, there's a power of sin in my life. So this tension isn't gone here even at the end of the chapter. And Paul does feel his own sinfulness, uh, both here and elsewhere. 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, verse 15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's a great group because we all need it, right? Of whom I am chief. He doesn't say, man, I used to be chief. Back in the day, I was awful, but now I'm pretty fantastic. He says, man, when I think of sinners... When I think of just the worst people I know, man, my name is right at the top. <laughs> man, let me, let, me, let me start the conversation right here, Paul says. So he clearly feels this sinfulness. He clearly feels this weight. He clearly feels this struggle. 
And we do have commands to act in accordance with our status. It's not just like we sit back and chill and everything just kind of works out. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Hey, think about this as true and act in accordance with this. Act in a way that fits the fact that you are dead. That you died with Christ. That you're not with sin and the law anymore, but alive unto God, verse 11, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves unto God. So what we see here in Romans 6 and 7 doesn't mean that, hey, this just all kind of works out. You know, I can just blame it on the flesh or sin or something like that, and I'm, I'm good to go. But what it does tell us is that as we look at our lives, as we look at the fact that God says you're a new creature, and if we look at the fact that, man, I still do things that I, I can't believe I do them. I can't believe I'm still stuck in this. Why am I still here? That when we say that we are a new creature in Christ, when we tell ourselves that God sees me as new, we're not lying to ourselves, but we're actually speaking the truth to ourselves. Hey, it feels like these things clash, right? It feels like, man, I, I'm stuck in things I don't want to do, but supposedly I'm a new creature, and it's easy for us to look at the fact that I still mess up and say, well, I must not be a new creature then. Oh, I, I guess I can toss that out. But God says, no, the truth is that you are a new creature. The truth is that you are new. The truth is that you are dead with Christ and raised with him. And you do still struggle. But that's not, at the end of the day, what it's all about. Uh, you're not a, a struggling creature that God is just trying to kind of hype up a little bit. Uh, that God is just trying to kind of, well, you know, hope this makes you feel better, buddy. You know, you, you still actually are, are kind of terrible. But, you know, you're new. Figure it out, I guess. <laughs> but God says you are a new creature in Christ. And, that, man, this things you, that you still see inside of yourself, that's sin working in you. That's this parasite. That's this cancer that attacks you from the inside. But that's not really who you are. Colossians chapter 3, hey, verse 3, we are dead with Christ. You're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Verse 5, mortify therefore. Hey, put to death therefore. Well, do I have to put to death or not? Well, you do, but guess what? Man, you're still dead to start with. And it's an encouragement that, that God says, hey, you, you, there's some stuff that you need to do. Man, you need to not let sin reign. Man, you need to yield to God. Man, you need to mortify your members which are on the earth but it's flowing from a place of this is what God has said about me and this is what God has done for me. You're bipolar, uh, but you're not crazy. We're all there, unless you manage to top you know, the Apostle Paul. Hey, what do we do with this? Hey, guard your eyes. Now, guarding your E-Y-E-S is a good plan too, but guard your capital I. Guard what you say about yourself. Hey, sometimes we can say, well, I'm just... I'm just the worst, man. I'm, I'm just terrible. I, I, I just, I lose to this. Uh, I, I'm defeated by this. Uh, I'm, I'm conquered by this. When we should be saying, we should be leaning into, hey, this is what God has done for me, and this is what God has said about me. 
man, I am in Christ, I'm forgiven, I'm loved, and man, I'm a person that still sees sin just dwelling in me, man. It, it is there, it's attacking me, it's present with me, but I am not defined by my worst moments and by the sin that I still see in my life. I'm defined by what God says about me. And so I'm bipolar, but I'm not crazy, and I'm going to lose weight eventually. And you are too, which is encouraging. Uh, verse 24, right? At the end of this discussion, man, I love the law of God, verse 22, but I see this other law in my members. I see this power, this rule of sin. Verse 24, O wretched man that I am. Hey, if you don't take sin seriously, verse 13, if you don't feel that nasty, sinful presence of sin, if you're just kind of floating through life, not rejoicing in the deliverance that God has given you, but just kind of numb and apathetic to the whole thing, then you're going to miss this. But verse 24, he says, man, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And it seems that some criminals during this time, uh, some murderers, uh, would be chained to a dead body as part of the punishment for their crime. And as that corpse uh, would decay, uh, their own health status would not exactly get better either. And so Paul is saying, man, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Hey, man, how am I going to get away from this parasite, this cancer, this sin inside of me? And he doesn't say, man, here's a great program that I've got nailed down. And he doesn't say, well, you know, you're not, but just kind of get used to living with this. But he says, I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, he says, I've got some amazing things to praise God for. I've got some incredible things that God is doing for me and has done for me, and I'm going to praise the Lord for those things. Hey, the tension is still here, so with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Hey, I realize that it's not just gone and that I don't just kind of float through living in uh, grand perfection now, but I've got some incredible things to thank God for, that he uh, has delivered and will deliver me. Man, chapter 8, verse 1, there wasn't some chapter break here. It's not like some serial kind of thing that, you know, come back next week and I guess we got to figure it out. Man, Paul runs right into this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Man, God has overruled what sin says. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 13, if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, hey, you've got a fight on your hands, but you've got God working with you to help you do the things that he's called you to do. And God is on your side. Hey, you have intimate connection to God, verse 15 of chapter 8. You've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, that we can come to our Father, that verse 16, we have clear assurance that we are part of God's family. Verse 23, we've got something to look forward to, that this is not the end, I'm not going to be stuck here forever, but I will receive a glorified body, that I will be done with this. Verses 26 and 27, you have God himself as a prayer partner for you, that God himself is interceding for you, verse 27, according to the will of God. That God is 
praying, the Spirit is interceding for you, for you to reach God's will, for you to become, for you to follow what God desires for you. Verses 28 through 30, we can have complete confidence in God's plan that he's working all things for his goal, for us to look like Jesus Christ, for us to be exactly who he's called us to be in this life and then in heaven as we're glorified as well. And two last things here, verse 31. God will never not be for you. And verses 35 through 39, God will never not be with you. If you're anything like me, man, if you're anything like Paul even in this chapter, in chapter 7, if you're struggling with this nastiness of sin, if you're struggling with why in the world am I so stupid? Why do I do these things? I don't even like doing them. Why would I do it? We can sometimes feel uh, like, man, there's, 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 honestly, there's no way God can be for me. Right? Like, man, uh, we, we hear, uh, you know, even things like the, the Abraham Lincoln quote, right, that, uh, you know, I'm not concerned if, uh, you know, I'm not trying to get God on our side. I want to be on God's side. And there's a good application to that. But we can sometimes tackle things like that, like, you know, I mean, God would never, like, actually like me, but he, you know, maybe he'll kind of let me be on his team some. I can kind of be on God's side. But here, God is for us. How for us is God? He has sent his own son to die on a cross for us, for me, and for you. And God will never not be for you. God is never just kind of fed up with where you are and is like, well, you know what? You can just go somewhere else for a while, right? I don't want you anymore. God is never not going to be for you. Verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Right? So who's going to do anything against us when the judge is already the one who's on our team? Right? This courtroom is so crooked that there's no way we could possibly be condemned. Because the judge is for us. Man, his son, whom he loves, is on our side interceding for us. Man, he already gave him for us. Man, who's going to condemn us then? Uh, man, who's going to say anything about us? And man, who's going to kick us out? I mean, the judge is completely, gloriously, holily, righteously, and lovingly, quote, corrupt in this case. Man, he's completely on our side. Man, because of what Jesus Christ did for us, man, God, the judge, is completely 100% for us, and he's completely 100% with us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35. Man. Or more than conquerors. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able. Man, it doesn't, it's not like it, it just won't. Man, it doesn't even have the opportunity. It doesn't have the chance to. It's not even able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your sin, that sin inside of you, that disgusting 
frustrating, discouraging battle that anyone who actually cares about sin sees themselves reflected in Romans 7 is not what God says is the final word about me. It's not what God says is the final word about you. That he is for you, he is with you, and nothing will ever be able to separate you from his love. And sometimes we can, we can look at it and we can say, well, I don't get why that would be the case. I, I don't think Paul got why that would be the case. I don't know that we're going to be able to wrap our minds around the love of God, which passeth, passeth knowledge, Ephesians chapter 3. But we know that God is for us and God is with us. And we don't have to live in guilt and we don't have to live in shame and we don't have to live in fear. Uh, we don't have to live in complacency, right? The point of this isn't, uh, or is that, rather, it's not just, well, I am just this way and there's nothing that's going to change that because it's just, it's just me, right? I'm just stuck like this. <laughs> but God says, hey, there's sin that's attacking you from the inside, but I love you, I'm with you, I I'm working on you. Lean into that and it's all going to be gone someday. You are going to lose weight eventually. You are going to be delivered from the body of this death. And because we know that's true, man, what can stop us now? Man, uh, what can hold us back? What can keep us down now? And chapter 7, the law, man, we've been dead to that. Uh, we're not with the law anymore. We're not with sin working through the law anymore. Hey, we see sin inside of us. We're freed from the law, but there's something still there, that flesh, that sin nature that we still have. Man, and it's the worst sometimes. But God says, hey, you're, you're bipolar, but you're not crazy. And this is something that everyone goes through, but this isn't the final word. This isn't what God ultimately sees you, that he doesn't look at David Adams' disappointments and David Adams' failings and the times that David Adams doesn't live up to what everyone else thinks about him and what he wishes he could think about himself. That's not how God sees me. But God sees me, that Jesus Christ died for me, that Jesus Christ uh, rose again for me, that with him I'm married to another, I bring forth fruit unto God, I serve in the newness of the Spirit, not the oldness of the letter. That sin inside of me isn't the defining word on what God sees me as, what God wants to use me as, or what God wants to use you as, or how he sees you, how he knows you, how he loves you, but that there is no condemnation, there's no uh, possible charge that can be laid against you, and there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.